everybody needs to know today about Jesus. And so because uh, you want to do this today, you do what all good evangelists do. You go underneath the bed and you pull out the plastic bin that contains the collection. Maybe I'm the only one of us here that has one. But you pull out the collection, the t-shirt the collection under your bed. And you decide that it's time to go old school a little bit and pull out witness wear. <laughs> Yes, you got them. They're under the bed. They're in the bin. And you decide that even though it's corny, you know it's corny, but you don't care anymore. Because today everybody needs to know about Jesus. And so you whip out the old school DC Talk shirt that says right on the front, Jesus free. <laughs> Smells a little moldy, but Jesus is all over it. So you head out. You go to Cafe Kubal, or maybe you hit up Macy's Meats for one of those sandwiches. You want everybody there to recognize and to see that you are indeed a Jesus freak. And you want everybody to know about it. And so somebody kind of does a double take. They look at you and they realize that this is not normal. And so they stare at you, and then finally maybe they ask you this question. Why in the world are you wearing that shirt? Why are you a self-proclaimed Jesus freak? What would you say? What would you say if some, assuming you're rocking the tea, which I know you're tempted tomorrow morning, what would you say to them? Why are you a Jesus freak? I'm assuming your answer would address the specifics of who Christ is. Right? Because who you are, the Jesus freak, is an outflow. It's connected to who he is. There's a reason why you are excited about, celebratory of, and a freak concerning the person of Jesus. It's all about who he is. But how would you answer that question? Who is Jesus? Maybe you would use terms like Savior, Lord, King. I don't know. But how would you unpackage that short question? Who is Jesus? Today, we're going to look at a passage that hits us dead on, straight on, clear as day, telling us about the person of Jesus, who he is, as revealed in the scriptures, helping us to maybe explain to somebody who would ask, or help us to maybe explain to someone we feel like we need to share about who the identity of Jesus is. And my hope is not that we would just have a clear understanding of Jesus, that is who he is, but that our worship and our love and our treasuring of him would all the more be deepened and 
a look. Colossians chapter 1. The passage really is six verses. Uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. We're going to take two weeks on this. Right? The, the whole point of this is to deepen uh, our, our understanding of Jesus by not dealing with it superficially. And my fear is if we took a look at these six verses all in one week, that we would be dealing with it ever so superficially. And so, please, be patient with us as we walk through these, really, three verses tonight. Verses 15 through 17. Listen to these words. Speaking of the person of Jesus, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord concerning his son, Jesus Christ. First statement, he is the image of the invisible God. Eight words that carry infinite significance. We see that word image. It's where we get the word icon, right? If we look in culture today, there are cultural icons, right? That What do they do? They represent uh, the values, the norms, the ideals uh, that, that, that are inherent in a culture or in a people. They're icons, right? They represent the values, the culture of a people. Some of these people, uh, at least historically, have been Marilyn Monroe, a cultural icon. Michael Jackson, a cultural icon. John Lennon, Martin Luther King, Bart Simpson, just kidding, right? A cultural icon, someone that represents us and really tells the story about what is normative for a particular society. So when we see this word image, icon, we see that Jesus is the icon, the image of the invisible God. And in some way we can say that he is representative of the values, the person, the identity of the invisible God. We can say that. But please understand that the word is getting at so much more than just representation. It's not just that Jesus represents the invisible God, the God that we cannot see. It's so much more than that. It really gets at the fact that as the image of God, Jesus reveals God the Father. It's not just about representation. It's about revelation. We see this in the opening chapters of John, don't we? Where, where he's talking about um, the Word becoming flesh, right, and, and, and dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, 
right? Glory as of the only, uh, uh, glory as of the only God, full of grace and truth, right? This idea that that Jesus uh, reveals who God is to the world, right? No one has seen God. The only begotten of the Father, He has made Him known. John one eighteen, right? That's just what Jesus is as the image of God. Jesus alone reveals God the Father. He explains the Father. When we see Jesus, we know who God is. When we see Jesus and interact with Jesus, we know what God is like. Are you tracking with me? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The skeptic often asks the question, how can I believe in a God that I cannot see? Right? How can I believe in a God that I cannot see? There's in something about belief and worship where we crave to see. We want to see. It's almost like our vision verifies something for us. If we see it, then we're willing to believe it. Right? True. That's what we see going on inside of the skeptic's mind. I mean, at the end of the day, is this not the nature of idolatry? Those who worship idols are those that, that have an understanding of God that they want represented and carved and made in an image that they can see, control, manipulate, and visualize. So the skeptic says, I can't believe in it if I can't see it. But what I love about this is that we actually can see God in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? Physically. See God. So it's not necessarily true to say that you can't see God. You can see God. Jesus is the visible manifestation, physical uh, manifestation, the word that has become flesh. You can see God. You just can't see him right now. Because he's not here. He's in heaven. Seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is the full revelation, the perfect revelation of God. He even said it. If you've seen me, what? You have seen the Father. That's right. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a claim by Jesus. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the image of the invisible God. How about the agnostic? Who says, ah, maybe. But at the end of the day, you can't know for sure. Right? No knowledge. You can't know. You can't know. You can't know God. But the biblical response is this, that God is visibly seen. God is perfectly known in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the supreme, sufficient revelation of the invisible God. We can know who God is. We can know what God is like in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's good news. He is knowable in the person. 
of Jesus Christ. Let me make it even more simple. Right? You can know God. Not just know about Him. Not just have a list of true statements that you can articulate. But you can know. I mean, know, relate with, be connected to, have union with God through Jesus Christ. You can know God. He's not unknowable. He's very much revealed himself to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter O'Brien says, the very nature and the character of God have been perfectly revealed in him. In him, the invisible has become visible. If you're asking the question today, what is he like? Look at Jesus. If you want to know him, read about him in the scripture. The scriptures articulate for us what Jesus did and how he responded to the world, how he related to other people, what he taught. The scriptures tell us. And so if you want to know God, come to the scriptures and see him for all that he is and know him in Jesus Christ. Friends, it needs to be said today that it is that he is the invisible God. That means that it's the image of the invisible God. This means that no one else is. There's no one that stands as tall as Christ in the revelation of God. Jesus stands above all. He is the image of the invisible God. You are not the icon of the invisible God in the way that Jesus is. You don't know God by looking inward to yourself, by some sort of process of self-actualization. That's not how you come to know God. Some journey where you leave your parents and go off into the woods and just try to find yourself is not how you know God. It's through a personal encounter as revealed in Scripture with Jesus Christ. It's not other gods that we would, would choose possibly to worship. It's not the God of Islam. It's not the God of Buddhism. It's not the God of Hinduism. It is the God of the Scriptures in Jesus Christ. That is, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus stands above all. But not only that, as the image of the invisible God, the text goes on to say that he's the firstborn of all creation. Let's be clear, this does not mean that he was born first. Right? We can probably look at the scriptures and be like, born first. Somebody got something wrong. When the Bible says that he's the firstborn of all creation, they're not talking about time. That is, he was born first. They're talking about rank. They're talking about status. They're talking about hierarchy. They're talking about prominence, priority, the status of Jesus Christ. He is not the one born first as a created being, but he is the firstborn of all creation. That is, he ranks. He outranks everybody. He stands above all. He is preeminent 
over creation. He's distinguished from it. He's preeminent. That's what it means when it says that he is the firstborn of all creation. He's preeminent over it. Well, how can Paul say that he is? On what basis? Well, he tells us. For this reason, because, verse 16, by him, through Jesus, all things were created. What he's saying is, is that Christ is preeminent over creation because he is the very agent of creation. In other words, he made it. All that we see, every walk through the woods, right? Every, every view from the mountaintop, it's all made by him. Right? For by him, through him, all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. You know, that those phrases, thrones, rulers, dominions, that's, that's a merism. It's a, it's a literary device that's basically saying everything. Right? You could say it if we're urban enough, right? Aradak. Right? Tie and all. Right? Aradak. That's what it means. It's not, you know, it's like, okay, from, from Dave Macy to Matt Unright. He made it all. Guess who was included? All y'all were included. Right? That's what's going on here. If you were to think for one moment anything out there was made apart from him, made apart from his power, his creative intentions, his authority and his sovereignty, we're missing the point. The reason Jesus is firstborn over all of creation is because he is the very agent and source of all things that were created. That's who he is. Christ is our creator, right? Again, back to John. All things were made through him. Without him, not anything that is made was made. He did it. Right? We would typically say he's our savior. He's our redeemer. He's our friend. He's our sacrifice. Would we look to Jesus and say, he is our creator. He made me. God made me through the agency of Jesus Christ. Would we say that? Would that be our confession? Would that be first thought in our mind when we, when we relate to Jesus? You are my creator. I was made through the agency of your person. That's what the Bible says. It all came from Christ. It all came through Jesus Christ alone. He's preeminent over creation because he is the agent of creation. But not only that, and I think the, the words that really pierced my soul the most are the next one. That we see that he's not just preeminent over creation because he's the source of it. He's preeminent over creation because he is the end of it. Meaning, he's the purpose. He's the reason. All things were made. All things were made through him. But all things were made for him. That hits me right square in this selfish face, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but when I begin to think about that, um, 
reality, that, that all things were made through him and all things were made for him, I begin to see the depth of my own sin. As I apply that verse to countless situations on a daily basis, I, even when I don't act in a particular way, I feel a propensity to live so contrary <coughs> to what this text is saying. I can all too often be narcissistic. Does anybody know who Narcissus is? I'd love to do this. Raise your hand if you know who Narcissus is. Raise your hand. Right? We've heard of it. We've heard of narcissism possibly. Well, Narcissus uh, was attracted to a pool by some dude named Nemesis. Who would you rather be, Narcissus or Nemesis? Not, not a relevant question. So he goes to this pool, he looks in the reflection, and he falls in love with himself. He looks at it. He stares at it. He loves what he sees. He becomes infatuated with self. And the story says that at the end of the day, because he was unable to leave the look of himself, that he died. He died. Thus we have the term narcissism, a fixation, a deadly fixation on oneself. Now begin to think of all the frustrations I have that kind of inside, all the maybe uh, irritations that well up inside of me about life from nine to five. I think about some of the the, the, the conversations and the, the jibber-jabbering with, with my wife, I begin to realize what the source of it is often. You know what it is? I've put myself at the center of the world. I feel like I'm easily connecting with all of you. We put ourselves at the center of the world, almost the centerpiece on the table of the universe we look at it and all we see is ourself. Even if we would say, oh, I'm not the center of the world, almost in a pitiful way. No, not me. Becomes putting yourself at the center of the world. Wallowing in self-pity, in, in self-frustration, is making the world almost uh, centered around you. But the Bible says that all things were made through him and for Jesus. The world does not center around Mike Mason. The world does not, is not revolving around you. Some of you dudes in the room need to remember that in your marriages. It's not about you. Some of you chicks in the room need to remember that in your marriages too. It's not about you. Our relationships, our money, our decisions, our time, all that we have is all been given to us for one specific reason, that Jesus would have the glory that he deserves from it. Man, oh man, do I need to hear that message at 6 a.m. when the alarm goes off. It ain't about you, brother. 
And I need to hear it at 601, because I already forgot. All things were made through him and for him. And friends, before we get too personal here, understand that it's not just you and your small little life. That when it says that all things were made through him and for him, we need to have a bigger picture of that. That it's a cosmic Jesus. Right? That the emphasis here is not on any individual life. It's on Jesus in all of his glory. It's not just your nine to five. It's all of the universe throughout all time was all made for Jesus. Everything in it for him. That's why the world was made. He's the whole point of creation. So often we miss the point, don't we? We miss it. Strike three. We miss it. Jesus stands above all. He's preeminent over creation. Why? He's the agent of it, and he's the reason for it. He's the end. He's the purpose. That's why God made the world. So Jesus would receive glory from everything in including your life. Right? It's, it's not about us as individuals, but when it says all things, surely it's inclusive of us. And last, we see that Jesus not only stands tall uh, above all because he is the image of the invisible God and because he is preeminent over all of creation, but we see that Jesus stands tall because he is preexistent and the sustainer of all things. And you may be thinking about that. And sound a little bit like Silas in your mind. You say, huh? Well, recently laying in bed with Sai and just kind of reading through storybook, and we were in the Jesus birth narratives, and Silas is kind of looking at me like, something ain't right. God was born. How could he be born and also make that, like, right, in time, again, he's, he can't see both entering into human history as a baby, and at the very same time, existing before history. Anybody else struggle with that one? Major, I'm just kidding. So, like Silas, we may hear this and say, what? Huh? But that's what it is. It, in all of his glory and majesty, yes, he entered into human history as a man, as a baby, 2,000 years ago. But let's be clear, he was not a created being in that moment. He existed in eternity past, even though he came and entered into human history, right? He is before all things. There's your time element. The firstborn of all creation is talking about rank. And priority. He's the man. He stands above all, right? But here we see that he is before all things, that he pre-exists. All that we see, he pre-existed it. He always has been, always will be eternal, past, present, and future. This is the person of Jesus. Some dude named Arius didn't believe that. I think it's important to note that throughout church history, 
People have rejected the idea that Jesus has always existed. Some people have proclaimed and taught that Jesus was a created being. Arius was one of them. He was condemned a heretic in 325 by the Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicene Creed. So church history has heard this often, that Jesus is a created being, that he was not eternal with the Father before the foundation of the world. But what we see here is that Paul is making it clear that he is before all things. He pre-existed creation and has with the Father. So when you interact with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and you may believe for a moment that we're all the same, don't believe the hype. We believe something very different about the nature, the eternity, and the person of Jesus Christ than the Jehovah's Witnesses. And friends, it matters. It affects the atonement of Jesus to believe that he did not, uh, he wasn't pre-existent. That's a whole other conversation. But the differences matter. They're significant. Just think through that. When you're engaging uh, Arianism of today in the form of Jehovah's Witness or anybody else, go back to Colossians 1.17 and say, uh, 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 he is before all things. That's Jesus. But not only that, we see that Jesus sustains all things, right? Basically, Jesus, when you look at the world, and it's all being held together, somehow you wake up every day and the sun shines. Well, that's, that's an exaggeration. You wake up every day in Syracuse, New York, and, and, and for some reason it's time to go to work again. The circle keeps going. The cycle of life keeps happening. We're getting older. Something is keeping the universe together. Guess what it is? Jesus. He's the unifying principle of the universe. A pastor friend of mine said he's cosmic superglue. Without Jesus, everything falls apart at the seams. He brings cohesion to the universe, and we know he brings cohesion to our lives, doesn't he? Because if Jesus were removed from our lives, tell me things, things would not begin to fall apart at the seams. And I know I said things twice. That was kind of weird. <laughs> Jesus keeps everything together. He sustains all things. Without him, it all disintegrates. Friends, Jesus stands above all. See that today. In part one. You're going to see it again in part two. I don't know what your current view of Jesus is, how you would answer that question, who he is, but I'm assuming that like me, it is smaller than it needs to be, that he is so much more than we give him credit for in our hearts, isn't he? Jesus stands above all. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. And he is the one who pre-exists and sustains all things. That's why we wake up, we go under the bed, and we grab a Jesus free tea. And we don't care. Because that's Jesus. And he is worth honoring, worshiping, and loving. Yet today, I think many of our t-shirts, many of our tattoos, if you will, things that we want to put on ourselves to tell a story about who Jesus is and who we are in the relationship with Jesus, 
we often see these t-shirts today. Jesus is my homeboy. Interesting. What do we got going on there? Right? Or my BFF, right? Maybe the younger ones are going that route. Jesus is my best friend forever. He's my buddy. We hang out. We chill, man. Me and Jesus. I think when we do that, we shrink. When we treat Jesus, the Jesus of Colossians 1, 15 through 17, as our homeboy, as our BFF, as our buddy, we shrink Jesus. We make him, or at least in our minds, we do. We shorten him. He stands tall in Colossians. He stands tall in the scriptures. He stands preeminent over all things. But when we call him the homeboy, we shorten him in our mind. And in the end, we shortchange him in our worship, don't we? We shortchange him. Many teachers and preachers today emphasize the humanity of Jesus. Friends, he was a human. He did enter into our experience. He does sympathize with your weakness. He does understand what it was like to work a job. He gets it. He was just like one of us. But friends, he is so far beyond us as well. He's over us. He transcends us. He's beyond us. Even while we hold tight to his incarnation, let us not forget who he is in the scriptures as the one who stands above all. The image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. The one who pre exists and sustains all things. May that Jesus be in your brain and in your heart. And may that Jesus cause you to worship him more joyfully and, should I say, obediently. To whatever he would call you to, as revealed in the scripture. Truth be told, you may not want to rock the DC talk shirt. But I think when we hear these words from Paul, we do agree with John the Baptist, right? When it comes to that Jesus, he must increase. And I must decrease. Jesus stands. Jesus, we confess that you are the image of the invisible God. You are the firstborn of all creation, for by you all things were created, 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or dominions or authorities, all things were created through you and for you. You are before all things, and in you all things hold together. May we worship you in response to it.